Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's turn to God's Word tonight. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading from verse 1. This is just the last uh, in this wee series here on the Beatitudes. And uh, we're reading from uh, chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through to verse 12. Amen. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are ye, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Could we read together verses 11 and 12, just this final night, verses 11 and 12, if we could read it all together. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Father, tonight we just pray you bless your word. Lord, we thank you for the public reading of your word tonight. We pray, O God, that you would indeed anoint us both to preach and to hear your word and touch our hearts afresh, reveal Christ to us afresh. We want to see you afresh, O God. Touch our lives again, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This this last night, this is the uh, ninth uh, beatitude that we're looking at. I know there's some debate on how many beatitudes there are, but this is our ninth and final night. The number nine, of course, symbolizes divine completeness. There are nine fruits of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we know it just is a number, a biblical number that speaks of divine completeness. Christ cried on the ninth hour, it is finished. It was complete. It's a complete work. And uh, this particular beatitude that we're looking at tonight, verses 11 and verse 12, um, this one identifies us uh, with the person and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, probably like none other. Uh, there is nowhere that you'll find the wonder of Christ's character and the demonstration of his meekness and his total subjection to the purpose and the will of his Father when Christ stood at the judgment seat of Pilate. It's a remarkable scene and we know the story very well, but it is quite a remarkable moment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as he stands at the judgment seat of Pilate. This is Almighty God manifested in the flesh, infinite power. There is no one like him in the flesh standing before the judgment seat of Pilate. The prophet Isaiah said these words in Isaiah chapter 53. You'll know the chapter well. But in verse 7, it says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
If there's anywhere in Scripture where we see the wonder of this Christ, I believe it's when he stood at the judgment seat of Pilate. He is brought to a lamb as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. It's the wonder of the character and the person of Christ. We see him, if you turn to Matthew 27, just to read the account, just a couple of verses there, it just shows us something of the wonder of the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect example, our only example that we should follow. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 11, it says that Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, it says he answered nothing. Then Pilate said unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against you? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. The governor marveled greatly. Standing before him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, surrounding him at that moment where the chief priests, the religious elders of that day, they were more like a pack of lions going for their prey. There standing in the midst of them was the man, Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God, God himself in the flesh. He created it all. And as they began to interrogate him and bring false accusation against him, he stood and opened not his mouth. What an example. What an example. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, this is the example that we are to live by, to follow. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 tells us clearly here that this is what we are to live after. The example that Christ has left us. In 1 Peter 2.21 it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Christ has left us an example. Now we should follow his steps, who did no sin, praise the Lord. Neither was there guile found in his mouth. What a Savior. What a Christ. Who, when he was reviled, what does it say? He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But what did he do? He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I believe that when we look at this perfect example, I believe when we look at Christ, as we are instructed, as he has left us this example, when we come to this wonderful attribute of Christ, when we see him standing, surrounded by all the false accusations, the betrayal and all the mockery of men, there he stands. 
and he opened not his mouth. What a saviour. What an example. This, of course, is not simply suppressing our feelings. This is not just biting our lip. This is someone who has completely surrendered and committed to the will of his Father. Because it has to be more than just that we grit our teeth or bite our tongue or or kick something and so that we don't say the wrong thing. And most of the time, if we're honest, we have a terrible case of foot and mouth disease, not right? We we say it. But it's more than just suppressing a feeling. It is a surrender of the heart. It goes to the very core of being a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. When men revile you, when men persecute you, when men say all manner of evil against you falsely, now we come really to the reality of what a crucified life is. We hear the term, we can sing about it, we can talk about it, we can read about it, but it's more than something on a piece of paper. It's more than something that we just sing. It goes right to the very core of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to follow him, we got to deny ourselves, we got to take up our cross, and we got to follow him. We come the reality of this crucified life. You know, we can, we can soak up a lot. We can ride many winds and go through many storms. We can cope with a wee bit of flack here and a wee bit of flack there. But when it comes directly, when it comes right to the very core of our person with intent and it hits us, then comes the reality of this death to self. You know, I was in England there, we picked up just, uh, there was sort of a gathering in of a few churches and then there was just a few scattered that were gathering in for the services and Saturday one particular individual came in and then afterwards he says, uh, when he was asked uh, what church that was he affiliated with, he says, I don't bother with that. I go to the internet church. So wouldn't that be easy? He just clicks on on a Sunday and then in some way, I don't know where it works, where it's a network of Skypers. And so you can click on, but if you just get too tired or you don't like what you're hearing, you can just click off. But there's no physical contact. There's no meeting with each other. There's no iron sharpening iron. There's no physical gathering together as we're instructed in God's word to meet in this fashion to grow in the grace of God, to love one another, to prefer one another, to call for the elders when you're sick so they anoint you with oil and they pray over you. So this whole breakdown of the gathering of God's people is a wonderful thing. As God begins to forge a vessel of of God's people together in the family of God, to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of God, and then the diversity of all of us coming together in the person of Christ then we begin to live out this Christianity the way we're supposed to live it out. How much of us is really dead? You know, Brother Clendenin always used to say, you can't disturb a dead man. 
You can't disturb a corpse. No matter what you do with it, no matter what you say to it, whether you scream at it, whether you kick it, whatever you may do, you cannot disturb a corpse. Why? Because the corpse is dead. We're instructed that it's a faithful saying in 2 Timothy 2 and 11, if you turn over to it. In 2 Timothy 2 and 11, then 2 Corinthians 4 and 10 will go to, and then Romans 6 and 5. But 2 Timothy 2 and 11 says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, if we have died to ourselves, the death of ourselves, secondly, something wonderful happens, we also shall live with him. It's the life of Christ. It's the resurrection life that flows through us. But there has to be a death to self. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 10, it says, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 10, if you turn over, 2 Corinthians 4 and 10, Amen. 2 Corinthians 4 and 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be manifest in our body. This is about the death, the self. Romans 6 and 5, it says, Romans 6 and 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's the life of Christ. The death to self, to be crucified, to be dead to oneself, brings us to the place where we see our perfect example in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. He opened not his mouth. It's not an easy one. It's not an easy one, sure it's not. It's not an easy one, sure it's not. When you're reviled, when words are said, when someone says something that is directly to you and it is about you and something that is false or reviles you or comes against you with hatred or bitterness, we want to defend ourselves, don't we? Isn't that the normal reaction of our old man? We must defend ourselves. Yet we look at the Lord And the Lord opened not his mouth. Now you might say, as I've often heard it said, listen Tim, God knows my heart. Thank God he does know our hearts. We might say, well, you know, I'm just going to opt out of this one because, you know, I love the Lord and the Lord loves me and this is just the way it's going to be. Brothers and sisters, look what the Lord's done for us. Look at the death of Christ on the cross. Look at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly want to be a follower and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, there has to be a denial or a death to self and a taking up the cross to follow him. Now we're tested by the Lord. We don't have any rights at the cross. We have surrendered them all. We don't have any rights to say no to the Lord or do not to follow his word. But by his grace and his mercy and by the grace of God, we say, Lord, not I, but Christ. We die to ourselves. The cross was never easy for the Lord. But thank God that he went all the way for each one of us. 
Thank God that he went through it all. He took the beatings and the scourgings and the mockery and the betrayal and he died on the cross for everyone in this room. Now we want to follow him. If we want to truly follow him and follow his footsteps and follow his path and follow his person and his pattern, then we'll be reviled, we'll be hated for his name's sake. And may the Lord give us the grace May he give us much grace to just be like him. He opened not his mouth. Luke records it in this way. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, if you look at it, he records this account, this beatitude in this way. Luke 6 and 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. No, Jesus said that we will be hated. We will be hated. We will be hated for his name's sake. The Bible says you're blessed when men shall hate you. Look at the second part. And when they shall separate you from their company when they don't want you to be a part of their company, they separate themselves from you. A man will reproach you. And men will cast out your name as evil. Men will cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Do you know, that's what's happening, folks. That's what's happening. All around us, there's a rise and there's a rise, and there's a rise, and there's a rise of an antichrist world that hates the Christ that is in you and I. And they will hate us. But how do we fight that? He's left us an example. Listen. He opened not his mouth. The Bible says that you're blessed for this. Actually, Luke says this, when you are reviled and when you're separated from people's company because of your love for Christ and when your name is cast out for evil, do you know what we're instructed to do? Look at Luke's account in verse 23. It tells us that you're to rejoice in that day. And then what's the second thing it does? We're to leap for joy. We're singing in the Lighthouse Club there. Um, about that we've got the joy, joy, joy down and then you know Andy can near hit the roof I just can't get as high but he can near hit the roof when he's leaping for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in us and the Bible says you know when that day comes when they hate us when they revile us when they separate themselves from us the Bible says rejoice in that day and then it says and leap for joy what happens when you're reviled? What happens when men say something or do, do something against you? You or your name is spoken of in a not so nice way. What do you do? Do you leap for joy? Do you rejoice and say, praise the Lord? That's exactly what they've done with the prophets. This is what you told us would happen, Lord. We're going to rejoice anyway. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to rejoice. 
We're supposed to leave for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is a reward for us. 2 Timothy 4 and 7. Paul talks of a reward. As he's closing out at the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4 and 7. He writes these words to Timothy. He says, I've fought a good fight. Brothers and sisters, this is a good fight. And we need to fight this good fight, not with flesh, not with fists and feet, but in the spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. We're to fight a good fight. This is a good fight. This is a fight worth fighting for. This is a cause worth dying for. The cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to fight a good fight. And he says, I've fought a good fight and I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. I've finished what God has called me to do or to be and I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, and then he says, the righteous judge. Can I just share something with you? If you've found yourself in a place and you will, and every believer will, not just one or two, Every believer will come to a time where they'll experience either that they've been mistreated or things have been said about them that wasn't right. And you feel that sense of injustice. Can I encourage you about something? There is a righteous judge. And it is right to bring that to the Lord and commit it to him and leave it with him. And to live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ free. If there's unforgiveness, forgive. Get it right where you can. But friends, brothers and sisters, there's a righteous judge and his name is Jesus. And you can commit it to him and leave it with him. The Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not only to me, but unto all them also that love his appearing. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give it give it that day, not only to me, but all them that also love is appearing. Bible says that we're blessed when we're reviled, when we're persecuted, when all manner of evil said against us falsely. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great's your reward in heaven. For so persecuted the prophets which were before you. This is an hour, brothers and sisters, that we are going to need to know what it is to really rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Because the floods of wickedness rise and that whole system around us that hate Christ is, is arising. But brothers and sisters, we are to rejoice in the Lord and even leap for joy. Count it all a privilege and a blessing to be called a servant of the Most High God. They hated him, they hated his prophets, and they will hate us. But praise the Lord, we're saved, and we're washed in the blood, and we're fighting a good fight, and we're going home to see the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when you're reviled, he's left as a wonderful example, and it's the perfect example. He reviled not again. You know, we live in a country that it's just filled with hatred, bigotry, bitterness, all 
a country that's wrecked with, with all the sectarianism. It's filtrated into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it all. We hear it all. We're a country that likes to say a lot. But what an example Jesus has set before us. Lord, help us to graciously die that the life, the resurrection life and the person of Christ would be seen in us and flow through us. We're blessed. We're to rejoice. Somebody might even leap. Somebody might even leap. For we have a great reward. We just want to be like him. We want to be like him. What an example we have. His name is Jesus. Let's pray together tonight. Amen.